Heal Her podcast. I have a super special guest for you today. I'm so excited. We have Mrs. Dana Williams for an absolutely inspiring talk about relationships. She is a relationship expert and coach who has also written a book called The Choice That Changed Her Life. And she's also the host of the Real Relationship Talk podcast. I'm really excited to bring her in today. Her podcast has raving reviews about her real authenticity and just her encouraging stories. So everyone that's listening today, please give her a little fuel her coffee cheer and everybody welcome Dana. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm excited to be here today. Oh, I'm super pumped. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are today and your career and all the fun things, all the juicy things about you. Yeah, well, I am actually a pastor at my church. And um, so I've been doing the pastoring thing for a while. And I just love people. I It's interesting because people are like, oh my gosh, how is it being a pastor? You have to like listen to people's problems all the time. And I'm like, I love it. Like I'm such a solution driven person. And so um, God has just really allowed us to use a lot of our story. I got married at 18. So oh, okay. Right. And so it's like, what do you know at 18? You don't even know, like, barely how to spell your last name. Right. And here I am married with a child because we also had our son. Our son was six weeks old when we got married. So we're kind of starting the whole marriage thing off backwards, if you will. And so we just went through a lot. We went through a lot of like turmoil and pressure and drama and crazy in our relationship. And so because of that, we would reach out to other people and we'd be like, we need help. You know, we need advice. We were looking for mentors. And it was like, nobody would really help us. And it was just the weirdest thing. And so that sent us into like this tailspin. And what we decided was if we ever come out of this, we're going to be the couple that we wanted to find. So my husband and I are both very transparent with our struggles and the things that we went through in our marriage and not just only in that season, but, you know, throughout our marriage, we've had different challenges. And so uh, probably about five years ago, I decided to really kind of get serious about the whole like coaching thing because people were just coming to us for advice and for wisdom and for prayer and for support. And so we were just walking couples through different challenges. And so I said, you know what, let me actually ask the Lord, like along with the calling that I have to be a pastor, like, is this something that you have for me? And so I officially launched as a business a couple of years ago. Oh, that is just honestly exciting off the bat. Coming from my background in church, you don't see a lot of women pastors. So kind of how do you Tell me how you kind of got into that role, like, or what your role looks like. I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah, well, I grew up in um, a Baptist denomination, and so they did not support women in ministry. Mm -mm. But when I was little, like, you know, even as a little kid, I remember I would watch my aunt. She would do, like, the church announcements, and she wasn't even allowed to stand, like, in the pulpit. She had to stand off to the side and then on another podium. I always thought that was so strange. And so I remember being a kid and being, and I knew that I had a call to teach. You know, I would even, as I got to be a little bit older in church, I would teach like in Sunday school and stuff like that. Um, And so I always knew that I had a calling to teach and I really felt a calling to ministry, but I didn't know what that would look like because I had zero examples before me to show me the way. Praise the Lord for Joyce Meyer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. She has really good Bible studies too. Exactly. And so once I saw like Joyce Meyer and then Beth Moore and Priscilla Shirer kind of coming along the scene and I started hearing about these other women and I was like, okay, Lord, there is a place for me. I just began to serve in my church. It wasn't something that I aspired to to become. I never aspired to become like a woman pastor. I just began to serve in my church and my senior pastor, which is interesting because I go, I pastor at a multi-ethnic church. And so my senior pastor is an older white man love and it. like, oh yeah, like I love, love him it. so much. <laughs> and he, he just saw something in me. And so he would talk to me about, you know, 
Dana, what do you feel like your call is here? And so through the course of many conversations, lots of prayer, me serving in the church, he asked if I would be willing to be ordained as a pastor. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. That is the coolest thing ever. I've like almost ever heard. That is so cool that we, my <laughs> husband and I are finally going to a church now where they do support women in ministry or women as pastors. But this is the first church that we've gone to in 10 years that has ever done that. So that's just not something that I'm used to. A lot of my friends that listen are going to be like blown away right now. That's super cool. Okay. <laughs> so you kind of talked about this a little bit already. You said you started your business three years ago. So I'll kind of shape the question a little bit differently. It's, I, I wanted to ask, when did you have the idea to use your relationship, your relationship um, and your relationship know-how to help others? So we kind of know that was a couple of years ago when did all of your issues with your marriage that you're talking about really start? And then the big issues, when did they kind of end? And then how long until after that did you really start? Okay. This is something that I'm going to, we're going to do together to help other people. Yeah. Great question. So um, we pretty much started having issues right away uh, because we were 18 and 21. (laughs) And so, you know, some of those issues were just normal stuff. It was like, you know, you're young, you're immature, you're figuring out life, you're figuring out each other. We also throw parenting in there, right? We didn't even have like a buffer few years. Like it was just like right away. And so I think those issues kind of became like exacerbated throughout our marriage. Both my husband and I, we were both Christians when we got married, but neither one of us were like really following the Lord. Like we would go to church, but it, that was pretty much it. You know, um, we were kind of doing our own thing. I think it really kind of hit ahead. I've forgotten the dates, maybe like 2009, 2010 is when it was like really bad. And, um, and I was going to divorce him because, you know, we had walked through and I'm very like open, like we had walked through infidelity and it was just, it was just bad. And, and I was like, you know what? I can do bad by myself, you know? And so I was like, I'm not going to put up reference. I am here for any Medea reference. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know, I'm moving on. And so I remember, um, it was around 2011, 2012 when I like last ditch effort, like, Lord, you have got to like, show me the way. And I felt such peace in my heart that I really felt like the Lord said to me, if you go, I will bless you. If you stay, I will bless you. And I was like, I just really want to see what God is able to do if I stay. And I just really believed there was like this little seed. It was tiny, little tiny seed of faith that believed that God could do something extraordinary in our marriage. And so we really started like counseling. My husband was kind of doing counseling before, but I had seen that, like been there, done that. I was like, you're just doing that to like get my attention, whatever, kind of like tuned him out. And so we really started counseling together. And that's when we started seeing, it was, it was a combination of things. It was him surrendering. It was me surrendering. It was counseling. It was people praying for us when I was like, I'm not praying for this marriage anymore. It was other people rallying around and praying for us. And so um, I think that all kind of, like I said, hit ahead. It was probably at the peak of like the worst of the worst was like maybe 2012. And then God began to really do an amazing wonder in our relationship. But I really didn't go like quote public with like, oh, we want to help people. Cause I really do believe, like, I believe that everybody has a testimony and I believe that you can really help other people through what you've gone through. But I also believe that you need to first be healed. You know, you can't be like dripping blood all over the place and then think that you're going to be like helping somebody. Amen. And yeah. So, yeah. And so it was really important to me to be like, you know what? We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to like arrive and have like the perfect marriage. But I really wanted to make sure that we were at least on like solid foot that I wasn't still like every day, like, oh my God, is the shoe going to fall out, you know, um, from underneath us. And so once we kind of got to a place of consistent behavior over time, which is how I define trust is how that's built consistent behavior over time. Then I was like, okay, you know, I think that I'm ready to start seeing what the Lord is going to do with this messy situation that he allowed us to walk through. 
Yes. I've talked about this a little bit on my podcast before, only in a few episodes, but I have to, this will be the first time that this will be aired. I have to just come out and say it, that my husband and I have also been through that exact same season and we are thriving today. The second child has been blessed in the family since my husband and I are just getting to the point where we're like, okay, we can talk about it now publicly without feeling the shame, you know, that mm-hmm. comes with it. But I absolutely knew I had to ask you like on the podcast and have questions about it because ours, our issues started right after we had kids. So I like have this like theory postpartum. If you don't know what you're getting into, you don't know what being thrown at you when you be your, your new baby. If you have a husband and their work, you're not prepared for that. Or if you don't have like support around that, you're just pretty much almost doomed to fail. Like I swear in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Was there anything that God did maybe um, to show you or to speak to you in a way that kind of like said that this is the path you should stay? You know, honestly, it wasn't other than God just saying, like, if you stay, I'll bless you. If you go, I'll bless you. It was more so just like what I believed, you know, like I believe that God is good. I believe that Romans 8, 28 says that he is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I believe that, you know, the cliche, like it's always darkest after the dawn, you know what I mean? All those things like I was just talking about earlier. So I think it was like a combination of those, but then there's also like, I'm at this point in my life and I was there too, that like, I just want to see God get the glory out of my life. And so I was like, you know, this God that we sing about and that we worship and we pray to, and we're like, oh, he can do the impossible. Like, I was like, I really want to see what he can do with this mess. You know, like, is he really able to like do the impossible with what seemed like was a failed marriage? And so I think that there was like that little bit of like curiosity for lack of a better word that I was just like, let's see, let's see if God can really do it. If I actually trust him with this. So tell me a little bit about how your day-to-day life was deciding, you know, when you're deciding to stay together, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of mistrust. There's betrayal. You're, there's probably a lot of miscommunication and you're, you have to mom, you have to still be a mom. So tell me a little bit about how that, how that in the middle part of the healing was going, how that went. Oh, it was so rough. (laughs) It was so rough. And like, I I like to tell people like, like marriage is messy. It doesn't have to be bad. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, it's so bad. It's so hard. It's like the worst thing that you're ever going to do. But like, especially when you're going through something like this, it was very hard. My husband and I weren't really communicating well. You know, he was trying, he was like trying to show me, oh, I'm changing. I'm doing all these things. And I was just so hurt and so bitter honestly that like I just was like "Eh." like I I would like basically treat him like he didn't exist now because I grew up in a dysfunctional like tumultuous home that there was lots of fighting and arguing and all that stuff I made a decision a long time ago that my kids weren't going to grow up like that so if you ask my kids I'm sure they could pick up on tension but they didn't see us like yelling and arguing and slamming doors and none of that stuff we kept it very like cordial in front of the kids but we really had like no real relationship together he was sleeping in in another room um we were kind of doing like an in-home separation thing and it, it just was it was tense I remember being very lonely oh my god like extreme loneliness um just really like bitter and just very like angry and like I can't believe this is my life like why did my marriage have to end like, like this it was I thought it was ending why did it have to end like this and so those were some really like I said lonely and dark times but I'll tell you what Ashley like Those times, though, I would never want to go through that again. It really taught me who God was. Like, I really began to experience the Holy Spirit as comforter or 
like God is not just my father, but he is the most faithful friend I've ever had. You know, when I was too embarrassed or too ashamed to talk to my like real life friends or human friends, I should say, you know, like he was always there, you know, and I could talk to him about any and everything. And so while my marriage was crumbling, my relationship with God was like getting better and better and better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, and exactly. so I really appreciated um, just even that good that came out of that season. Yes. Do you think the separation part was helpful or do you think that kind of made the intimacy or the the healing harder? It was honestly, it was a waste, (laughs) you know, because it was weird. It was like, you're right down the hall. You know what I mean? And so like he would, he, I don't recommend in-home separations. I think if you're going to do a separation, somebody needs to move out because there's boundaries in play. And it's very difficult to have boundaries when you're like, you're married, but you're like, what are we doing? You know, we're separated, but we're still living in the same house. And so, yeah, it was kind of a waste of time, to be honest with you. My husband never lets me leave. Like, he's just like one of those people that, you know, he's like, no, we're figuring this out. Like, you're staying, which can be, it's to a fault too. Like, you know, that can be really healthy. It can also be well, not healthy, but when, when we are facing all these issues, I will say that I do think that us staying in the, in the room together, still like forcing us to kind of like break through that barrier. If we're going to stay together, we're going to stay together. We're going to work through this kind of helped a little bit on the not intimacy side, at least breaking through connection mm-hmm. kind of that. Yeah. We'll put that part aside and get to the actual questions I have on <laughs> today now. What do you think is, this kind of plays long, honestly, what do you think is the number one contributor to relationship or marital problems? I think two, um, one is just unmet expectations. And then two is communication issues. And so I say unmet expectations because I think when we get married, we all kind of have in our head what we think our marriage is going to look like. But most often we don't talk about that. Like, like we, we don't say like, what is your vision for this marriage? You know? Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of assume things. We go into our marriage assuming like, oh, my husband's going to like, it's go- It's going to feel like this. And, you know, I'm going to come home from work and he's going to be like, and we're going to hang out all the time. And like, we have all these expectations and then like life happens and you start to disconnect and you don't know what to do with it because this wasn't what you were expecting. And so then you become disappointed and then disappointment over time leads to disillusionment. And then if that's not you know fixed, then you begin to really disconnect. And so um, I think that that's the biggest thing, one of the biggest things. And then of course, communication issues. You know, I talk about communication all the time and I hear from so many couples that'll be like, we just don't communicate. You know, our marriage is so bad. Our relationship is bad. We don't communicate. And I'm like, impossible. Like everybody communicates. You just don't do it well. And so we have to learn how to like communicate well. And I think a lot of times in marriage, like we want our spouses to like agree with us. And I I have this saying, I didn't make it up. I think uh, Danny Silk actually from, um, he has a whole ministry out in Bethel, right in California. But um, anyway, he says that the purpose of communication is not agreement, but understanding. And like when I really got that, like in my head and in my heart, it changed everything. It changed the game for us because I was like, okay, so it's not a matter of like, okay, I've got this thing. I've got, you know how we do it. It's like, okay, I need to talk to my husband about this and I'm going to say this and then he's going to say that. And then I'm going to say this and then he's going to, you know, we've got like the whole thing planned planned out. out. (laughs) Exactly. And at the end of the day, like our goal is I want to tell him this and I need him to come on my side and agree with me. And if you can just take that off the table and understand that like, it's okay for you guys not to agree, but if he can understand you in a new way, and if you can understand him in a new way, 
mission accomplished. You've just communicated well. And so I really think that, of course, there's a whole bunch of other issues. There's spiritual issues. There's incompatibility issues. There's childhood trauma that presents itself in marriage, all kinds of stuff. But I think if I had to really put my finger on two things that plague most couples, I would say it's probably unmet expectations and then communication issues. I also think those two go together because if you're not communicating your expectations... It's really going to lead to communication issues and unmet expectations. That is so true. I love it. Why is self-love or awareness or self-discovery so important in our relationships with our spouses? Oh my gosh. I could write a book on this. I know, right? How does that feel? It's so important. Like it's so important. As a matter of fact, I'm doing this workshop coming up um, called Boundaries. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And the thing about boundaries and self-love and like self-care, we've been taught, especially if you have a church background that, you know, J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, you last. Right. And like, we've been like, I say we've marinated in that teaching for so long. I'm going to put myself last. I go last. I go last. I put everybody first. And I understand like the, the thought behind that is that we don't want people to be selfish, that you shouldn't only think about yourself, but us continuing to put ourselves last has actually made us hate ourselves. And it's made us allow all kinds of treatment that God never intended for us to, to allow. And so I always say, you know, you can't take two unhealthy people and have a healthy relationship. It's got to be two whole healthy people that make a relationship. So what does that look like? That means that you have to first be self-aware. You have to know, like, what are my likes? What are my dislikes? Like, what, what are my boundaries? What gets me angry? What makes me happy? Like, we need to know ourselves. And then the other thing is like, once you know yourself, then you have to like have the confidence to stand up for yourself and to say like, I am not gonna allow that certain kind of treatment. And you don't even have to, honestly, Ashley, you don't even have to tell people that. You just have to, when they respond to you in a certain way, you have to, again, have those boundaries up and not accept that whatever that behavior is. It's Mm -hmm. one thing for a woman to be like, you're not going to curse at me. I'm not going to let you curse at me. But then your husband like curses you out all the time and then you don't do anything about it. Well, what you're saying is is just like white noise, you know? And so I think that we do, we have to be self-aware. We have to understand that we are important to God. And so if we're important to God, my goodness, we should be important to ourselves. And it doesn't mean that I'm better than my husband or I'm better than my kids or I'm better than anybody else. But it means that I have the same right to be treated worthy, to be treated with respect, to be loved, to have my opinions validated. Like I have all of those same rights, just like I give those same rights to other people. Yes. Two questions off that. How could someone start or do you help your clients at all say like, hey, self-discovery or self-awareness is something you should probably work on? Or what would be a way that someone can, could start? What do you, is there anything that right off the top of your bat, like a really good beginner way to do that? Yeah. Like, okay. I did this thing probably five years ago where I wrote a letter to myself and I was just like, you know, dear Dana, like, this is who you are. These are the things that you like, you know, literally like I wrote it out to myself. And so that's one way, like, honestly, people, this sounds so simplistic, but so many people do not know themselves. They do not know what they like. They do not know what they don't like. They don't know, you know, do I like to travel? Do I want to travel internationally or do I want to stay local? Like they just don't know those things. So that would be the first thing that would be just like a fun little exercise is write a letter to yourself kind of introducing yourself to yourself 
And then another thing is I'm really big on verbal affirmations. You know, um, the, the word for confess in, in the Greek is homologeo, which means to say the same thing, right? So when I'm confessing something, I'm saying the same thing about myself that God says about me. So I have a, a journal on my nightstand in my bedroom and in my journal, I have affirmations. And so every few days, I used to do it every day. I'm not super consistent with it anymore, but every few days I'll go in and I'll write different affirmations based on what God says about me. So my affirmations aren't like, oh, you're cute. You know, like my affirmations will be like, yeah, I am like, wealthy. Right. Thank you. Like not that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a, I am chosen. I'm a priestess or a royal priestess. What do you think is the number one lie women believe about sex in relationships or marriage? Oh, that is a great question. The number one lie women believe about sex. I th- and so it's funny, I did a podcast episode um, on the lies women believe about sex. <laughs> so you would feel like I should have this at the ready. Um, my guest was a girl named Molly and she's like a fitness guru. And we were talking about all this stuff. Oh, that's fun. You know, I think a lot of times, again, and I, I don't want to be like a church basher. I mean, obviously pastor at a church. And so I love the church. <laughs> right. um, but I think that sometimes women feel like I have to be constantly available to my husband all the time. Like I don't have the right to say no. Yeah. And I feel like that's very, it's very harmful, not only to the woman, but to the man, because yeah. the man needs to learn self-control. He needs to learn you're going to be okay if she tells you no, you know, for one night. Now, what I don't promote is women being like, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired every day, every day, every day. No, like, you know, I do believe when you get married, you do need to take care of each other's needs. However, for women who feel like it is somehow ungodly or it's a sin for me to ever say no, if I'm in pain or if I'm sick or if I just am having a really rough day and I can't get myself in the mood or whatever it is, my husband doesn't you get me in the mood, whatever it is. Like, I just feel like it's so harmful. Um, and I don't feel like women in the world have as much an issue with this, but I feel like a lot of times it's women of the church, you know, women who are, are believers who feel like I have to be on constant demand, you know, no matter what, no matter how many times a day, no matter when, no matter where, I just, I always have to say yes. And I feel like that's, it's really harmful. Like I said, to both husband and wife. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I think something that my husband, and I had to na- had to navigate when, while we were healthy, you know, while we got, we were on our stable foot, but kind of like after that, our first little sexual net like navigation problem after all of our issues where it was him kind of having the expectation of no matter what if we had already talked about you know we're gonna have the playtime later he didn't have to put in the effort before the playtime like he was Mm -hmm. on you know he'd be on his phone the whole time and I I feel like a lot a couple of my friends are going through that so what would you say to a couple that is you know maybe in that like autopilot you're on your phone you're not really connecting intimately um but they want to better their sex life Yeah. I think first and foremost, we need to understand that sex is all about connection. It's not about like just the penetration experience, you know, if you will, it's, it's all about connection. And so as a woman, most, most women, and again, I'm kind of speaking in generalization, generally generalizations here. Most women can't just be turned on like that. Like, you know, I've heard like the crock pot microwave, you know, analogy where like a woman is like a crock pot, like she's going to take a little bit longer to get in the mood where men, they're just like always ready. And so, and I deal with this a lot with couples who, and it usually is the wife who she's like, you know, my husband doesn't do anything for foreplay. Like, he's just like, I'm ready, you know, I'm ready. And so I think that that's very selfish. And I'll tell the guys like, you know, not only are you being selfish, but you're actually really missing out on like pleasuring your wife, you know, because most women, when they get 
get to that point of being like really pleased, like they'll do, they'll do, they'll make your, your night very happy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Hey, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Just to let you know, you're missing, like you're out, missing too. out Exactly. It's like the bonus content. Like, you know, back in the day, we have it like DVDs and they have like <laughs> the, the bonus, bonus DVD. Like, you're missing out on the bonus. You know you, what I mean? You could get some more bonuses if you just. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um, okay. Sex and marriage is really something that I like to talk about because I feel like women, especially, don't talk about it enough. Like it is right. a completely taboo topic. Is that something that you encounter in, in marriage or in your, in your coaching at all? Oh, absolutely. I did a whole series on the podcast recently. So I'm in a single series right now, but the, the series right before this was called all about sex. And I told, I, I posted on Facebook and I was like, I'm going to say sex so many times until you guys get over the fact that it is not a taboo topic. If you are married and we're not talking about sex, I'm like, what, what are we talking about? You know yeah. what I mean? Like marriage is, it's not all that's that marriage is marriage is not just about sex, but a big part of marriage is sex. And so we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to talk about it in the church. We need to be able to talk about it with our children. We need to be able to talk about it with each other. And um, there's actually an app. Um, so I interviewed the founder of an app called intimately us and his name is Dan Purcell. I love this app so much. I've been telling everybody about it because it helps couples to be able to have some of these conversations about sex and there's games up there like and he's a christian too so it's it's very like all of it is above board there's no like raunchy stuff in it but he's it's real like it's not like you know sunday school sex it's like real deal and so i i would just encourage couples like honestly like download that app it's available on both google and apple play it helped even my husband and i and we talk about this stuff all the time but like we were going through kind of some of the exercises and i was like you know what it's talking about sex turns me on oh yeah no it does and so i'm like for couples who don't want to talk about it again bonus content i'm like bonus. you know listen <laughs> okay i'll link that app in the show notes and i'm definitely gonna be downloading it what is the number or what is one tip that you could give someone a wife girlfriend significant other that is in a season of feeling incredibly unseen and unheard in her relationship or her marriage yeah that's hard and i've been there you know mm-hmm. like i said i went through a very very long season of just absolute loneliness and um and this is going to sound like so cliche, but like, it truly is the truth is that like, you have to get all of your validation and affirmation first and foremost from the Lord. Like, if you don't believe that you're important and special and like Roman or Romans Psalms 139 that talks all about, you know, before I was created in my mother's womb, you know, he knew me and, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made like all of those scriptures. They, they were life to me. I had to read those and remind myself of who I am in God's eyes. And so even though my husband, husband couldn't see it didn't mean that I was not valued. It didn't mean that I wasn't special or worthy. And so I really had to get my validation first and foremost from the Lord. Now, if you're in a healthy marriage and for, you know, healthy um, for the most part, but your husband isn't really giving you that, then I would say, for sure, continue to get that affirmation from the Lord, but then let your husband know of some things that he can do to make you feel valued. Because again, here are the unmet expectations. Again, a lot of times as women, we expect our husbands to just like know what to do and husbands do it too. They expect us to know, but like, if you don't tell him what you need. So for example, my husband, I'm a quality time girl. Like that is my number one love language. And so my husband was doing all this extra stuff that nobody asked him to do. And I was not feeling loved or valued. And so I had to be like, listen, like if I come and sit down beside you and you're watching something and you get up and leave, Like that makes me feel so rejected. And you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm going to give her the big side of the couch. I don't want the big side of the couch. 
Like, I want to sit down and spend quality time with you. But he didn't know that because I wasn't saying that. And so here I am feeling all rejected and disappointed, not saying anything, feeling all bad about myself. And he's gone off and doing something else. And his love language probably isn't quality time or he probably would have recognized that. Yeah, exactly. His is one of his biggest thing is acts of service. Like, Like he would get up and go wash my car. And that's why he's doing all these things. We're the same way. My husband's the same. He'll be, he'll go out and do like the laundry, take out the trash. I'm like, look, I just want to hang out with you. Right. Look, I know you're loving me right now, but you're not loving me the way that I feel loved. That's right. (laughs) Knowing your love language, ladies, is very important. That's, that's a free or free test that you can take, but also the book is awesome. We're going to go into your new book is called The Choice That Changed Her Life. What is the promise behind that book? And why'd you write it? So The Choice That Changed Her Life, um, I actually published it in 2013, so it's a little bit older. I wrote that story. It was loosely based off of my life as a teenage mom. And so I got pregnant. I was in college, but I was 17. So I was my birthday's late, and I skipped a grade. So I was super young, going to college, barely had turned 17. And so um, I, I had been raised in the church. And so like I knew what the Bible taught about life and the you know um, the sanctity of life and all of that. But like when you're 17 and you're pregnant, and I knew that like I had disappointed my family, my church, and all of these thoughts, you know, were going through my mind. And so I thought, I think I need to have an abortion. And that shocked me more than anything, because I was like, at the crisis pregnancy center, like rallies, you know what I mean? And so I never in a million years thought that I would be faced, first of all, with the unplanned pregnancy, second of all, with, you know, thinking about terminating it. And so I believe that the Lord, not that he caused me to get pregnant as a teenager, but I believe that he used that situation to really show me compassion where I really didn't have any compassion. Like if I would hear that someone had an abortion, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, how could they do such a Almost judgy, yeah. Oh, for sure. And so like when I went through that whole season and I was like, oh, oh, this is how you can get to a place where you're a good girl, you know, but you made a bad decision and now you're being forced or you feel like you're being forced to terminate your pregnancy. And so, you know, the Lord intervened in that my, my boyfriend who is my husband today, but at the time we were just dating, you know, we, we really just had like a come to Jesus moment. And we were like, look, what what are we going to do? And we both were not, we both thought originally we were going to terminate the pregnancy. And then we were like, that's just not us. Like we, we, that's just not who we are. We can't do this. And so hence the getting married at 18 and 21. Um, Yeah. And so I wrote this story to really show like behind the scenes, what a woman faces when she's being faced with the decision to terminate a pregnancy. So the choice that changed her life, I'm not going to tell you guys how it how it turns out in the story. And I always tell people like, that is not my story. It's loosely based on my life, but there's a lot of characters and issues and stuff like that, that, that aren't, you know, my life. But I really just wanted people to understand that this whole like pro-life, you know, pro-choice issue is not just black and white. There are some really very difficult decisions, you know, that people make and how God can even redeem even some of the toughest, um, worst decisions that we make. Oh yeah. Okay. So that's really good. Everybody I'm going to link that also in the show notes but she's going to tell you in a little bit where you can find and buy that book as well. I know you wrote it a couple years ago. Are you going to write any more or are you kind of? I am. This is so embarrassing. So I just like out myself before people out me. So I was, <laughs> I'm like super ambitious, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to publish the first book in 2013. The second book is going to come out in 2014. So in the back of the book, I have the chapter for the next book. So it's like a sequel. And so I have uh, the first chapter of that and it's like available summer of 2014. Okay. <laughs> 
wait. We are in 2021. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that book, the second book is still in my computer, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Like I'll, I'll have people like every now and again that will like send me messages on Facebook. Like, when are you going to publish the second book? But I do have a literary agent and we are actually working, not necessarily on that project because she kind of like threw me for a loop and we're working on some other stuff, but that one is going to be coming out. I That's exciting. That's really exciting. Um, Before I last ask my last question, this doesn't have that much to do with relationships, but I saw your podcast about, or it's actually a blog post about um, your letter to, or your message to the church about racial justice. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen anything in my profile when we connected about my passion for anti-racism and racial justice also, and especially from a Christian point of view. I just kind of wanted to ask you to kind of share your message, I guess, or maybe just kind of share if whatever you feel like sharing that message to the church people that listen to my podcast. Yeah, I did actually see that you had a passion for that. And I was super excited about that because honestly, just like as a black woman talking to like white women who, or white people who get it, it's just so refreshing because so many don't. And, um, and I, so my story, you know, real quick is, you know, I grew up in a all black neighborhood, went to an all black church, but my mom put us in Christian school. So mostly all white, white <laughs> schools, exactly. Yeah. Like it was like five black people in the school. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself constantly going between these two cultures you know I had like my white friends at school and my black friends in the neighborhood and never the two shall meet you know and so growing up I was just like this is so strange you know why why can't we just all get along you know Rodney King like why can't we just all get along and so when I was about 14 I was like I want to go to a church that is mixed I like my church you know that I grew up in but it was all black and I knew heaven's not going to look like that heaven's not going to be all white heaven's not going to be you know all Jews or whatever it is like it's it's just not reality and so I started started attending um, a multi-ethnic church with a good friend of mine who was white. And um, I felt like I was in heaven. I was like, this is what I've seen in my dreams. Like, this is it. This is what I want to be a part of. And so that kind of launched me into this whole, like, not only just like black and white people getting along, but like, how can I be a bridge? Really? I wouldn't have defined it that way at 14 years old, but like, how can I be a bridge builder between these two cultures? And so um, I've always had white friends. I've always had black friends and um, God has just really blessed me. And I live in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Some people would consider this the South. I'm like, mm, it's like South-ish, you I know? I would say East. Yeah, it's it's more East. Like you definitely are going to experience some things. I think that's just anywhere. But, you know, me personally, I wasn't like afraid of like the KKK on the corner. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like that. And so um, going to a multi-ethnic church, our church is very, very intentional about racial justice. And I've been able to lead, uh, teach classes on racial justice. I've traveled to go to multi-ethnic conferences. It's something that I'm really, really passionate about. I actually lead a small group um, at my church right now on racial justice. And my co-leader is an older white man. So we're like from completely different perspectives, but it works and we have a really great group. Um, And so my message, you know, there's so much that I could say about this, but I really think like we need to first understand that, like I was telling my mom this the other day, I said, we need to like decolonize our faith because a lot of the things that we were taught were not necessarily biblical truths, but they were whitewashed truths from mostly white theologians. Like how many black theologians do you know? Most people don't know any. published. Right, right, exactly, right? So it's like, okay, let's think about that. Do you really believe that there are no Black scholars out there? Of course there are. So what happened to their work? Why isn't their work being published? Why isn't anyone talking about them? 
why aren't they being promoted or shared or exalted or whatever it is? And so I think the first thing that we need to do is be willing to look outside of our own perspective. And this isn't just in the church. This is in our neighborhoods. You know, this is, this is everywhere. We need to be able to look outside of our own perspectives and surround ourselves with people who are going to push back a little bit on our beliefs, you know? So like all my white friends, they're not all on the same level. There are some that are like, I don't know. I mean, I had one of my white girlfriends literally tell me, I don't see the, the problem with why, why is everybody always talking about slavery? That was hundreds of years ago. I think people need to just get over it. Right. This is my friend. Home and I'm girl. like, right. Right. I'm Home like, Oh girl. father. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to have to pull out like every single fruit of the spirit on this one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Jesus um, help. Exactly. And so I have friends that are like, as blind I will say is that and then I have my girlfriends who were like oh, we're going to the march you know are you mm-hmm. coming that kind of thing you know and everything in between and so I think that you know we have to be willing to have those tough conversations I think for my white girlfriends you know I'm always encouraging them to like use me as a resource I'm not one of those black friends are like don't be asking me questions you need to do your own work I believe that there is some truth to that. Like, I don't want to be used. Nobody wants to be used. But you're tired, time, though. You guys are tired. <laughs> yes, it's a struggle. Exactly. And it's like, I don't want to explain to you something that you can easily find on Google. So go find your information that you need to find. Go do your own research. And then maybe come to me for like a perspective. Or maybe come to me and like, ask me a story. But like, I don't want to be the one that takes you from zero to wokeness where you need to be. Like, you need to be able to like, do your own work. So, and I think that most Black people, honestly, it's not that like we don't want people to talk to us or we don't want to like I said answer questions but it's like okay I can't teach you you know two plus two you got to go do that on your own and then come to me with like some stuff that's maybe a little bit more challenging that you need some extra help with so how do the how do your white friends that are more blind and I don't want to be rude but ignorant Mm -hmm. how does how does that make you feel how does that affect your relationship with them going I mean what's all that about Well, I'm going to be honest with you, like this whole 2020 and like everything that happened from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd to Mm Beyonce Taylor, all of these things, I think shed a lot of light on some things that it wasn't that I didn't want to see, but it's like, I always give people the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm like, oh, they didn't mean it like that, you know? Um, And then (laughs) a lot of these things really let me know like where they stand. I've lost two good white girlfriends in this past year because of some of these challenges. And this is the thing. I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't want to hold any unforgiveness or resentment and bitterness in my heart. It's too expensive. I can't afford that. However, I cannot walk in agreement. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? If you don't agree on like some basic human fundamental things, you and I cannot be friends. We can be acquaintances. I'm not going to block you on Facebook, but we cannot be friends because you, it's not even that you don't see it. It's that you won't see it. You won't allow your views to be challenged. You won't come out of the whole like whiteness that you've been so indoctrinated to believe. And so if you have made that decision, we can't be friends, not the kind of friends that when I say friend, you know, we can't be friends that way. And so I've had to be willing to let those friendships go and maybe they'll come back around in a few years. We'll see. I don't know. Um, But I think yeah, I've, I've had to be willing to do that. Now, there are some of my like church folks, for example, who I wouldn't really call them friends because just because I pastor in a multi-ethnic church does not mean that it's kumbaya. You know, <laughs> yeah. we got some, you know, real radical folks on both sides. And so that's been a little bit Diff, more difficult. I don't know if it's been more difficult for the friend. The friend thing hurts because you love mm-hmm. folks. You know, I love my friends and I don't ever want to like break friendship. But I think with the church thing, people expect 
a lot of times for you to respond a certain way if you're a pastor. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be me all the time. You know, I'm never going to be rude. I'm never going to like curse you out or, you know, say anything disrespectful to you, but I am going to tell you the truth. And that truth might sting sometimes. I think that that's been interesting um, to navigate, not just for me, but I think for most of our pastoral team, black and white, we've had to be like, oh, dang, I didn't realize so-and-so was like that. You know, oh, wow. You know, these are people that we love and, and have respected and looked up to and people kind of show you, you know, their true colors. And that can be a little disappointing for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. 2020 was, uh, I think hard for a lot, like, especially for like all black women. I have two black women that I consider very, very close friends. So just, you know, walking through that with them, one of my friends I'm talking about her and I actually created something called the power and dialogue. So we, it's a free event that we try to get all women, all races, white and black to come and talk about, we usually have a topic, um, you know, talk about racial reconciliation and how we can come together and how we can make change from our homes right here and right now and not wait for policy change and not wait for legislation or someone else to do it. So that's was really the reason behind that. Just because obviously just from conversations, just people listening to our conversation and just any having a little conversation, there's a really big power in that. And I just hope people hear your heart out there that are still on the fence or ignorant. <laughs> what kind of services do you offer and how is your coaching different than therapy? Great questions. I do um, individual relationship coaching. So this would be for a couple or for people who are either just straight up single, maybe they are not in a relationship right now or what I call solo spouses. So, you know, I was a solo spouse at one point, like I wanted to get help. My husband was not interested. Um, and so there's a lot of wives, especially like that. Like they're like, I want to get coaching. But my husband's not interested. So I do individual relationship coaching for them. And then I do premarital counseling for couples who are considering marriage. I really like to talk to them before they get engaged, because to be honest, once you got that ring and you've got that date, nothing I say is going to deter you. You're no, just like, especially if they put that deposit down. Exactly. They're like, we're getting married. I don't care if he's the wrong one. We're going to have to figure <laughs> that out later. And so I love to do premarital, like I said, like before you get engaged if possible. But obviously if, if a couple gets engaged, I'll still do their premarital coaching. And then I do like general marriage coaching. So for couples who are in trouble um, and I do specialize with like couples that are struggling, but I also help couples who are not necessarily struggling. They're just maybe doing some maintenance coaching. And we are going to be launching a group coaching um, in the fall. I'm really excited about that because Is a lot of times going to be on there. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, that yes. would be so cool. Yeah. Like my husband is so great. It's like, whenever he comes on the podcast, people are like, we love him. Like, cause he doesn't talk a lot. And so when he does talk, he's got something to say. Yeah. I appreciate him for that. Um, yeah, we'll be launching that in the fall. That's going to be, um, really fun. And then I do bi-monthly workshops. So like I said, we've got this workshop coming up April 20th and I do that. This is a workshop for women. So we'll kind of vac vacillate. Is that the word? Go back and forth between like women's workshops and then couples workshops. We did a whole all about sex workshop back in February. Amazing. We had these couples. It was like breakthroughs all over the place. It was so, so fun. It was so great. So yeah, that's pretty much the services that I offer at this time. I love it. Those will all be linked or at least how you can get in touch with her will be linked in the show notes. Do you want to read over the air, like your website, they can just kind of go to if they are impatient and don't want to wait or click in the show notes. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, so you can go to danashay.com. That's D-A-N-A-C-H-E.com. And there's links to the workshops, to my coaching services, um, and 
all of that. And I do want to answer your other question, Ashley. You asked what's the difference between counseling and coaching because I do get that a lot. So what I always tell people is that counseling is more for, I think it's more mental health issues, right? If you're going to a counselor that is going to be a licensed psychologist, someone who is able to diagnose, prescribe medication, and obviously you don't have to need all of that just to go to a counselor. But that is what counselors specialize and They're looking at your mental health. How is whatever the circumstances that you are experiencing right now affecting your mental health? Or how has your mental health affected those specific circumstances? As a coach, I'm not really diving into your mental health. I am not a licensed psychologist. So I always tell people that right off the bat, I will not be prescribing, diagnosing, or any of that. I will not be digging deep into your childhood traumas. We will talk about your childhood, but we're not going to focus a whole bunch of sessions on that, which is what you will see more in counseling. They want to go back into the past and see, you know, okay, how, how did this affect you now? Where I, as a coach, come is, okay, where are you now today? And where do you want to go in the future? Creating a vision, a pathway of success to get to where from where you are today to where you want to go. And so coaching is very practical. Every session is different. Every couple is different. And so I liked, I was a cheerleading coach for a long time. I cheered all throughout school. And so I love cheerleading. And what I would say is, you know, and my husband, he he coached football. So it was like, he would come up with like these plays. Cheerleaders have like their competition routines. And there's a certain thing that you have to do in order to get to whatever your desired result is. It's the same way with marriage coaching. It's like, we're going to come up with some plays for your relationship. So if you guys are having communication issues, all right, these are the plays. Go work on that this week. When we get back together next week, we'll talk about it. We'll adjust, figure out what we need to do, you know, in order to get to you, in order to get you guys to where you want to be. I love it. That's really good though. I really like the difference on that. I like your perspective on that because not everyone necessarily needs to work on their childhood traumas. I mean, it helps to understand, but if you really want to get to the root of the problem, who you are now and today and get practical, I like that. I like that. Okay. Final one. What is your favorite Bible verse that has gotten you through your toughest days? Okay. This is so funny. I did not plan this. I promise. I had no idea you were going to ask me this. I don't know if you could see my shirt. Obviously people who are listening to the podcast can't see it, but it's delight yourself in the Lord. I literally have this t-shirt on Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I think that scripture has, has gotten me through so many things because as I'm like focused on the desires of my heart, you know, whether it be business or relationship or parenting or whatever it is, the desires of my heart, I have to remember that first and foremost, I need to be delighting myself in the Lord. And it's not like a bait and switch. It's not like, you know, okay, well, if you delight in me, I'll reward you. It's not that, but it's like the more that you delight yourself in the Lord, the more that you like dig into his word and spend time in his presence. There's times that I'm in the presence of the Lord and we don't say a thing. He's not speaking to me. I'm not speaking to him, but it's like that good relationship that, you know, when we were dating, you could just be on the phone and not say anything. That's what it is, you know? And so that's delighting. And so I found and am finding still in my life that the more that I delight in the Lord, the more that I put him first and make him my priority. And I talk to him. I talk to him all throughout the day. My prayers are extremely conversational um, with him. And that he, he opens doors. You know, he's opened a door earlier today that I was like, oh my God, Lord, I talked to you about this. Like it wasn't even a prayer. It was just like a little thing that I like just said out of my mouth real quick. And here you are coming through clutch Faithful. you know yeah Faithful that's right that's I love right. that I, he, she does have the shirt on so I kind of want to do a video <laughs> like let's just post it on on YouTube whatever just, right. just for that part yeah, yeah. Uh, no thank you so much Dana for your time this evening this uh, this is definitely going to bless my audience I'm so excited for anyone to listen it was a lot of juicy juicy stuff so thank you so much thank you Ashley it's been great Yes. Okay, you guys, until next time, I hope you are feeling your heart, feeling your mind and feeling your body so you can free your soul.
Girl, I cannot tell you what it means to me that you are here and listening to this show. I am so grateful for you. And I just want to say that if you did love it or if it tugged at your heart at all, please feel free to share this with your friends or better yet, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so I can personally shout you out and thank you. Thank you so much for being on this journey, friend. Talk to you soon.